Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Straight Talk Radio, where we talk about all sorts of things like technology, business, politics, and culture. This is Donia Keating. I'm your host. I'm live in the Seattle area at about 2 p.m. Pacific time on Friday, January 2nd. Can you believe it's 2015? Happy New Year. Uh, Listeners, dial 646-378-0261. It'll patch you right in for live on-air questions or comments. Raise your hand by pressing 1 on your keypad, and there's a chat option if it's working today. You might have to open a Blog Talk Radio account first, but it's free, it's fun, and you get to listen to all different types of shows, including our own. This afternoon's topic is about air travel rage. The uh, official title is Air Travel Rage, Has Everyone Lost Their Marbles? Um, So it's about that, but it's also about how the industry is changing and its impact on our experience. I expect Charles Keating and others to pop in and share some thoughts, but if not, we'll just roll with uh, what we've got until we've covered what we want to cover. It's always uh, kind of uh, fun that way to not have any major agenda. The first thing here, though, is... um, We've gotten a few questions asking us, well, you know, who is Straight Talk Radio? Why are you doing this? And I don't think we've ever uh, really taken the time to to briefly describe what that is. But it is a project, and the hosting organization is my company, which is Professional Options. Professional Options is a leadership strategy and management consulting firm, and we work with all types of small and medium businesses, and we also work with Fortune 100 companies all over the world and do a variety of things. And so this was just something we thought would be interesting uh, and another vehicle for having a conversation with people about best practices and thoughts and just kind of take it down a few notches because our work tends to get very serious sometimes. So the first thing here is um, we've been seeing a lot of articles about passengers who end up in fights because the person in front of them uh, reclines their seat right into the person's lap behind them. And uh, airlines are trying to squeeze more people onto the planes, especially in coach. And there's less and less room to enjoy the experience without feeling like you're shoved into a tube. So um, we just thought that, you know, some of the stories that were out there, um, there's the ongoing debate um, about, you know, the the crying babies and whether or not they should travel. And, you know, also... um, you know, where they should be placed on the planes. You know, some people think that they should be placed in the back. Some people think that they should be in the front. Some people think they shouldn't be there at all. And, um, you know, also it's just one of those facts of life. You know, the, the children travel, uh, parents travel. Uh, they pay for their seats like everybody else, although I guess when you're younger you really don't. You ride in your parents' lap or whatever. Our kid actually has her own seat. so But it can't hurt to bring along some tricks and tools and, and to try to keep the babies and the young children occupied so they're not disturbing other passengers. Um, and there was that one photo, I think we have it as part of the slideshow, where there were some women, they're Asian women, that got into an actual fist fight on the plane. And it seemed more like it was retaliatory and aggressive on their part, like they were punishing the mom behind them for having the crying child by deliberately reclining into them. So, you know, hello, I mean, does that make the situation better? 
I'm not sure I'd uh, react so positively if I was sitting there trying to, to calm down a kid and somebody reclined into me either. But um, the other thing was the Korean Air, um, where an executive and a daughter of the chairman ordered the head of the service crew off the plane because she was served macadamia nuts without being asked. I mean, at first I think I had read the story and it said that the issue was that she was served nuts um, on in a, in a a bag instead of being uh, on a plate or whatever, and that was the problem. But later on, I read that she was served them without being asked, and that was enough to to uh, have her, you know, try to get the person, uh, the the head guy, uh, evicted off the um, uh, the service crew, the head of the service crew, evicted off of the plane. And uh, it was not one of her best moments, but the other thing is she was later arrested on a charge of obstructing aviation safety, which not so sure that was the way to deal with it either. But it's just very interesting stories that are out there about how people are reacting to uh, travel. And then I think there was another example, which was a passenger who was evicted because he didn't want to be told Merry Christmas. Okay, um, I think the Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays debate gets a bit ridiculous, uh, and it's ironic given the spirit of the season for, to me. Um, but there's something to be said for appropriate response on his part for, you know, being told Merry Christmas over and over again, and and even, you know, deciding what to say to people that are traveling. And there are so many different types of people in the world with so many different things that they celebrate. That if you really care about giving them a wish that is meaningful to them, it's a gift. Think of it as a gift. You know, if you go out and you buy me an ugly sweater because you don't care what I like, you know, then is it really a gift? (laughs) So I think sometimes that we get so caught up in the the religious aspects of how to term a greeting during the holiday season that we forget about the fact that it's not about what we believe in and what we want to call it. It's about how that other person would receive it. And if uh, you can give them a greeting that encompasses something that they celebrate that may not be what you celebrate, then, you know, choose your battles. I don't know. I did not get the full story about the woman who wanted to um, move the, to the emergency row, and she ended up scooted off the plane, and I think she might have even been arrested because she was seat hopping. So I, I think that, um, you know, I, I think we've done, most of us have done that before. We've, we've seen that the plane seats were empty, and, you know, we decided we wanted to move while the plane was already in flight because, after all, it's empty, and so what? Um, so not knowing the details of that, but it just seems sometimes, you know, it makes you wonder um, if if the airline industry is overreacting to some of the things that take place on board, um, if they're abusing their power, um, it, it, even though they're inconveniencing other passengers when they're doing that and bringing planes back to the gate and making emergency landings and everything, you know, kind of the punishment doesn't fit the crime issue. Um, or if maybe it's a zero-tolerance policy and it's necessary to send a message to other people. Um, I'm just not sure where the uh, sweet spot is on that, but it seems to me that you know after we had the September 11th thing, um, 9/11, it's just a uh, we're, we're trying to get rid of any type of perceived uh, disruption at the expense of, of common sense. 
and also you, you think about the you know the prices you know there's there's costs for food now there's costs for normal seats what what used to be normal seats uh now they're considered you know special seats or extra special or comfort seats or whatever you also have to pay for luggage and there's all types of workarounds where people are trying to get around that and then also how they treat passengers and customers when the flights are delayed when they're overbooked when they're canceled you know it, it used to be where you know you get your hotel paid for your meals and you know you're, you get rerouted on another flight and some of that still happens especially if you're first class or business class or whatever but you know there's also a sense especially in coach with people that I've been hearing from especially when we were uh, putting together the show that it's it's almost like you have to to escalate to upper management or somehow force the issue um by citing the laws or whatever or get media resources like get Jesse in there to embarrass them or use the power of social media through like Twitter or whatever just to get people to do the right thing. So I, I don't have any answers here today. I just thought it was an interesting topic because a lot of people brought it up and we had some suggestions about that. So uh, we thought we'd go with it. It looks like we have uh, Charles finally on the line. Hello, Charles. Hi. So uh, I don't know how much of you heard. We were talking about some of the different situations that had happened out there with passengers. I know that um, you and I had an experience years ago where the guy wanted to fight because of something uh, you asked him to do, which basically was exercising some basic, basic decency. Do you even want to talk about that? No, not really. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, geez, I mean, uh, just somebody is just farting, is farting up a storm. It was ridiculous. And it was just ridiculous. I don't even know what else to say about it. We were in, I think we were in first class, or, yeah, I think we were, actually. And I don't even remember where we were traveling. But there was clearly somebody in the, in the row in front of us, in the small, you know, you know, first class wasn't that big of a compartment. It really is. But in that small, relatively small space, this guy was just passing gas. And I don't know if he had any problems whether he had some colon issues. I don't know if he was on a bag, but he didn't look like it. But it was obviously somebody in distress because it was a really offensive, um, malodorous scent that was filling the cabin, and it was clear, and it was nonstop. I mean, this guy would do it, and then we'd get some relief, and then he'd do it again, and it was quiet, and we were just in, we were just in agony. And so finally, I had had enough. We had actually even talked to the flight attendant, and she knew about it, and she said, you know, there's nothing I can do. And so finally, um, you gently, I thought, and diplomatically said to him, hey, you know, and you didn't even accuse anyone specific. You just said, whoever it is that's passing gas, could you please, you know, stop? And one of the guys turned around really fast, like, you know, that's enough, don't talk to me. And so the rest of the flight, we just kind of let it be. And at the end of it, I mean, he was obviously stewing for that entire time. And he stood up and he basically said, you know, come on off the plane and he was going to, you know, take care of you. And I thought, what? Are you serious? We're going to have a fight because somebody asked you to stop passing gas and you were clearly doing it. And, you know, what are you picking on him for? So it was just a really interesting experience about, um, you know, people and how impatient they seem to be. Do you have any other thoughts about uh, travel and what's happening out there? It's it's a lot less enjoyable to travel now than it was in the past. I think I think all the things you mentioned before are true, but I think I came across this article that talked about how the airlines in their pursuit of fees have created a system that is compromising their service. And as a result, because they want to get more fees, 
they are reducing the levels of service that would normally be considered your basic service. So rather than extra levels of service, if you want essentially now the basic amenities such as carry-on bags, then you're going to end up having to pay in most cases. And I think that is creating a situation of a lot of flyer discontent because it's like I'm not just trying to you know fly first class and have somebody wait on me hand and foot. I need to get from point A to point B, and I want to do it with a, you know a, a, a medium level or even you know moderate level of comfort. Um, you know, but I don't have to have a lot of extra doodads or whistles. And I think what they're doing is because they're pursuing fees to such a high degree, they're squeezing the seats, they're taking away service. I, I think in some cases, maybe you know, like uh, you know, charging for food service or something. You know, that's that's kind of a choice where it's like whatever. But I think when they start squeezing the, the seats to such a degree and then trying to charge you a premium just to give you your space back, I think it's they're, they're basically creating a, a negative scenario uh, where that's creating a lot of discontent among the passengers. So what do you think about the, um, the basic travel netiquette, or, or etiquette, I should say, because it's not online, but you know how people are traveling and the whole recline don't recline you know what are your i mean how do you even travel do you recline um i do sometimes but many times i don't even need to because i just you know i get into such a state now where i just meditate the moment i sit down you know i'm i'm not trying to do anything i'll just sit there and meditate on most of the flights and just you know tune out so to speak um and you know, I would say the vast majority of people are respectful travelers. Are all feel like they're all in the same boat, so to speak. So they're they're respectful of each other. And you know, I, I think people have, are trying to accommodate it as much as possible. But I can see, you know, if there's anything that tips that boat for somebody, you know. There's not the same level of space or comfort or, you know, know, people trying to accommodate each other as much. And I think, you know, so if there's a crying baby and you're already squished into a seat, you know, it's hard to get comfortable and you got the crying baby and, you know, you know, all these little things will add up, I think, is the way I would put up. You know, so the the frustration level is definitely higher there. I think people have dealt with it well, though. So go ahead. Well, I, I was just thinking about the whole baby thing and, and, and some of the things that we've even dealt with, you know, once in a while. I mean, mostly we fly business or first, but once in a while we fly coach, and that's okay. I and mean, then we we sometimes upgrade even in coach to that, you know, coach extra or whatever you want to call it, section. And, you know, there's one thing to be said. We've always gotten great compliments about our child when she was a baby, and people were very surprised that there was a child on board because she was so quiet, and we did everything that we could to make sure that she was content and wasn't disruptive to um, other passengers because, yeah, like you said, we're all in it together. Uh, But there are also the parents that are, hey, it's a kid. That's what kids are. Sit down, shut up, let them kick you in the back of the chair repeatedly throughout the flight, and, you know, don't say anything to me or I'm going to get offended. And, And so those are the types of passengers that, you know, whether it's that, whether it's them wanting to recline fully knowing well, uh, that there's someone behind them, and they, you know, not making any kind of concessions or trying to uh, have any considerations for other people. I think that's when things go awry, and that's when people, you know, they snap. Um, but you know, again, you know, the, the reaction the from the industry. The, the reclining wouldn't even be such an issue if they hadn't compromised people's space so much. 
it used to be you had enough space to recline where, you know, the other seat back wasn't four inches from your face. Uh, you know, I mean, maybe I'm exaggerating, but it doesn't seem like it's a lot sometimes. I mean, literally, they've moved the seats so much closer together that your knees are literally almost on the back of their chair, and then they, if they drop back, they're they're literally, you know, right in your space. So, I mean, I think, you know, they've created that problem by shrinking the leg room and the space between seats. That's true, too, but you also think about the United States in general, and we've got an obesity problem, and so, you know, it's not only that. Obviously, the situation is a little different if you're tall. You can't exactly help being tall, but there are people that are um, overweight. We're increasingly overweight, and we take up more space, and, and so, you know, you've got one seat, and somebody's billowing and spilling into your seat, and you just, you're miserable, um, and, uh, you know, that's... There's that whole debate about whether or not you should be forced to pay for an extra seat. Uh, there are some airlines that are um, gracious enough to actually offer another seat uh, without charge, I believe, to some passengers. So I think uh, it, it just, I guess it really boils down to an expectation um, that if you're going to pay more money and if you're a more frequent flyer or whatever it is that that criteria um, that goes into effect, you end up being treated better or, or getting a little bit more consideration from the airline. Airline, um, and because there's not any uniformity in terms of how everyone is treated, obviously some people are treated better than others, and you know there's a whole dynamic there. But I just think that all things being equal, we all have to get from point A to point B. Um, airline travel is so far still the fastest way of getting to uh, distant places, and you know it's not going to go away. So I mean, how do we deal with that? How do we deal with that in the world of security and increasing conflict and and threats to that that uh travel arrangement and I, I the reactions to it by the industry and going back to the gate and emergency landings and arrests. I, I don't know what the sweet spot is like I said earlier. So Well, I I think um clarity and information is usually your your best sources. And I think the the good thing is nowadays, you know, people report things or you can go on the Internet and you can do research and find out things like, you know, seat space and things like that for different airlines. So as they keep trying to tweak the rules, it is kind of more complicated than it should be. Um, and you have to be kind of an educated traveler. You have to look around. And, and here's another thing, too. I, I think they've they've also undermined kind of you know frequent flyer loyalty in a lot of ways too, because nowadays I don't see you know a class of airline having so much better service that I'll always choose them over somebody else. A lot of them are not because they're so busy chasing the dollar. They're not really providing ex, you know exceptional service anymore, and as a result, you know what do I care if I'm trying to well I try to fly, fly the same airline to get. You know, frequent flyer miles, it's like it doesn't matter as much anymore. Sure, we'll accumulate them, and maybe we come across enough to make it worthwhile, but using those is almost, it's very difficult to, to find any value in them nowadays. And I think, I think it's yeah. also changed a lot. I mean, and that fair point. And you know, there was a time. I mean, I, I've always had multiple um, affinity accounts with different airlines because of always traveling with business and personal. But there were a few that rose to the top of the list, and United was one of them. And I, I made a, a concerted effort to to accumulate as many miles as possible on on that account, and got a lot of perks, and and kind of climbed up the ladder on that. And then something did shift. I mean, it's one of those things where. 
as more airlines, you know, went out of business or they started to merge and they became larger, it it there was a shift in the focus um, from a customer service and customer first into a an arrogance almost. You know, we're the top dog and we're the biggest game in town, and we don't have to bend if we don't want to bend. And so it, they there's almost like a uh, yes a decline in service. Um, because they're so big and there's so many other airlines, you know, like them, that um, they've forgotten, unfortunately, that, uh, you know, this is a two-way relationship and that we are customers. And so, of course, the flip side of that is that there are people that are unreasonable. But I I look at these situations when um, somebody goes and, like the one in that one to to seat hop, or when somebody gets into a debate about not liking how they've been treated – and there's almost the, the, the fine line there where the airlines are saying, okay, we screwed up and we're trying to resolve an issue with you, but at some point we're going to pull rank on you because we don't like the way you're talking to us about how we screwed up. And so now you have to talk to us nicely, you know, kind of Jack Nicholson style from A Few Good Men. You have to ask me nicely or else, you know, we're going to cart you off or boot you off the plane or arrest you. And it's it's kind of another way of being held hostage where you can't get annoyed with somebody for, for having a legitimate complaint or gripe against the way that you're being treated without being threatened with, you know, some type of an action. So they kind of got people from between a rock and a hard place, and in, in some in some ways that are unfair. I, I guess I see both sides of that coin. I think you're right. Uh, with less competition, they can act with a certain degree of impunity, and as a result, they, it's not going to cost them anything. They don't lose your business because there's not a lot of competitors flying certain routes, and they know that. So um, that makes that makes a difference where you're not going to get the highest level of service. Still, there's en- there's enough of few airline choices where you can choose A versus B, and you know I think they make a small medium <laughs> of, of attempt to uh, ameliorate. And of course, on the other side of the coin is there are definitely some people that should have been thrown off planes a long time ago. <laughs> you know, people are making stupid jokes, um, you know, about threatening people or threatening an airline or threatening the, the entire carriage or you know that's where I store my pipe bombs. You, you know, no, this day and age, no, mm-mm, people aren't playing around. Um, you know, you, you, you're taking the st- you're taking the short stop and going directly to jail and yet your destination when you do something stupid. I mean. I find it just incredible that so many people can be, you know, caught, you know, still carrying guns on airlines. You know, oh, yeah, I forgot I had a gun in my luggage, you know. <laughs> like, really? Um, things like that um, are, are really kind of showstoppers because uh, I think things changed 9-11. I think people realize that, you know, we're not here to just uh, follow the rules and everything will be okay. I think things changed at that point in time where they're saying, no, maybe we won't be okay. So... We may or may not cooperate. You know, we're we're not going to be docile. You know, we have to take up for ourselves, and I think that makes a big difference. Yeah, you know, September 11th happened a, and a while ago, and I'm not saying that we should ever forget because I certainly won't. Um, but there's also something to be said for overcorrecting, and you're right. I mean, there's a, a sense back then of, hey, we'll just negotiate and give them what they want and we'll be okay, and not preparing for the fact that there are people that are not going to want anything other than what they ultimately did, which was to, you know, crash into some buildings and and kill a lot of people um, and not being able to negotiate with them. But, you know, on the other hand, I mean, I know you mentioned that guy, and I think, I don't remember what happened with him, but I think he actually did end up arrested, you know, and he, I don't forget, I don't remember if it was before or after 9-11, but he was someone that basically got on the plane and joked 
um, when the, when the stewardess or flight attendant was putting his bag overhead and, and it was heavy or something. And he goes, oh, yeah, you know, that's where I store my pipe bombs. And then he took some kind of a sleeping pill or whatever because he was tired and he fell asleep. And so they came back and they tried to wake him for a lot of different things, whether it was to feed him or give him something to drink or whatever. And he didn't budge. So, of course, they freaked out and figured here was a guy that had, you know, offed himself and now the plane was going to blow up and go down. So they 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 awakened him and I think they ended up arresting him or, or making an emergency stop somewhere or landing and they took oh, yeah. him off. And so yeah, I think that's what yeah. happened, right? Yeah. Yeah, it was <laughs> so. an east to west coast flight and he ended up in St. Louis or something being pulled out the flight diverted and they pulled him off and and uh yeah, he had taken some kind of sleep pill, you know, to help himself sleep on the flight and it was like you, you don't you just don't you just don't pull certain jokes like that anymore because people are not in they're not in a laughing mood um, to the same degree anymore. That's for sure. Well, I think about also um, you know what about the extreme examples? I don't remember if it was in Michigan or Detroit or you know obviously Detroit's in Michigan, but there was that flight where they were there for like eight hours on the plane and all of the food ran out and all of the drinks ran out and. Um, you know the toilets overflowed and and they couldn't use them. I mean this this horrid situation where I don't know if it was because of weather or whatever where they had left the the um, the gate and yeah. they were out in queue and for that reason they were all just sitting there. These planes were just sitting there um, for eight hours without letting anybody get off of them and not pulling back into the gate and just insanity. Um, and they showed movies after movies, but at some point, it's like, my God, you know, these are human beings. Go back to the gate and let them out, and and figure stuff out instead of letting them sit there for eight hours. I mean, what's what's reasonable in terms of air travel and 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 trying to deal with situations that are sometimes beyond their control? It's just a weird. That they, was a weird. I don't think I would have. Enjoyed, a, I would have pulled the emergency latch and 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 risk you know arrest than to sit there for eight hours in conditions like that. That's just not. I, th- I think that's what somebody did. I think they eventually did. They they used the emergency escape hatch to get off the plane because they were they were they were being you know they, they were being imprisoned essentially. And um, mutiny. Yeah, it was a mutiny. So I, I think that's a case where the airlines and the air travel regulations need to grow up and get smarter. There's really no reason why a plane, in my opinion, why should they pull off in the gate? When they pull away from the gate, they should be able to know whether or not they're going to be able to fly and take off in the slot. Unless there's an accident literally there on the on the airport, you know, that happened, you know, some unseen, foreseen circumstances. But part of the problem is, is I, I think they haven't properly invested in the air traffic control system and the information that should be available. By the time you take off or leave the gate, you should... Know when you're going to be able to take off and fly to your destination. Now, if some weather changes in route, you might have to deal with something. But why would you have somebody sitting there for eight hours on the tarmac, running your jet engines, waiting for a takeoff slot? You know, um, I, I think in that particular case, I want to say it was Detroit it happened, and there was a snowstorm. I think and so. Maybe they changed conditions, you know, at the other S. But, you know, again, here's the thing. They get caught up in their own rules and regulations. Oh, no, regulation says we can't do X, we can't roll back to the gate, we can't do Y, you know. And a lot of times they could. They they actually could. They could say, you know what, we have an indefinite delay. 
you know, we'll wait, you know, you know, two hours, but it doesn't look like it's clearing. Roll the planes back to the gate. Oh, no, we've already allocated the gates to other places. Well, then figure out a way. If this was a disaster and the plane was on fire, people would get out. Don't trap them in the plane for, you know, a day, you know, because you guys can't figure out how to be flexible. I think they deserve what they what they had coming in that case. They really. Yeah. Um, I, I, I'm not. I'm not. Not okay with them not trying to find a way to accommodate in that kind of circumstance. I don't I know, know if they, they were actually subject to lawsuit and damages or whatever. I would have to go and look at that. But that's a situation where, you know, like you said, I mean, a plane for eight hours is completely unreasonable. Uh, and, and the other thing is that you think about it, you, you're stuck there, and everything's gone, all the food's gone, all the water's gone, um, the bathrooms are overflowing. You still have a flight to, ca- to take. So you're sitting here for eight hours, there's nothing available to you, and now you're going to go up in the air for two, three, five hours, wherever that flight was destined to to arrive, and then that those people are going to have to fly during that time with no um, concessions whatsoever, and and no you know ability to use the bathroom or to have anything to eat or drink because it's all run out, and they are going to be inconvenienced and they're going to be uncomfortable, and then of course the risk is that there's other weather um, or other kind of conditions that could have stalled them even further. So how long do you expect them to be on the plane without being? properly replenished. I mean, it's just it just was a very weird situation that, like you said, just showed some really, really poor judgment. And, uh, you know, it, 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 it just – but you brought up the uh, air traffic control thing, and now you just triggered another thought in me. We were talking about air rage and air travel and whatever, but now you've got me thinking about this recent thing with Air Asia, and then, of course, by proxy, um, the Malaysian airline things, you know, where that plane is still – nobody still knows what happened with that. Um but you you know conditions and and technology and taking off and and weather and being able to fly above it and what happened i mean what happens where we've been in that part of the world before and we even contemplated taking a ferry from um singapore to Indonesia, which wouldn't have been that long, so you know taking that flight is you know less than a two hour flight i think and and you you gotta wonder you know, how do you take off from a place like that? And you're only, you know, a half an hour, 40 minutes into a flight and an hour before landing, and you run into problems. There's no, there's radio silence. How does that even happen? Uh, again, I think on the surface we see all this technology and we think everything's getting better and better and better. But in certain places they haven't invested in the systems the way they should have. Uh, let me, I want to say one thing on the, on the subject before where people were being trapped on the tarmacs. There was so much media firestorm over it and so much scrutiny now it turns out the passengers couldn't sue the airlines because the rules that were the air search rules that the u.s government had set in place didn't allow them to sue for that but ultimately people complained so badly that it got to the transportation commissioner that they ended up changing the air carriage rules so on one hand, I mean, it's like you, you're kind of stuck, but on another hand, our complaining is actually good because it finally got the government to get off their dime and say, you know what, update these stupid rules. You know, my bag's worth more than 50 bucks. You know, me being stuck on an, airplane, on an airport tarmac for eight hours is not acceptable. Um, you know, all these things, eventually they finally up, updated the rules to prevent that situation from happening. The other side of the question I was going to say is this this thing about airplanes in transit. They have transponder codes. We have satellite communications now. And, um, you know, they already have the ability 
in many cases for planes to report their GPS position. They they turn on services where the engines are reporting their status and all that. The technology is obviously there to track airplanes continuously when they're in flight. Okay, whether or not they turn on those services, or again they charge a premium for them. I remember that the MH370. That was part of the issue. Is you know they could have had a certain level of service, and the systems would have been tracking immediately. But they had a different level of service, and it was still reporting some information, but it wasn't doing it at the same level. And so, you know, I, I think I, I, I read between the lines. Because we're being cheap, we're not really providing the proper level of information. We should know immediately where all airplanes are in the air at any one time, you know, so that if there is an emergency, we can try to render assistance. And I think it'll take, you know, an airplane, again, being lost somewhere, but lost in a way where people could have survived if they had been gotten there in time before people will finally react, I think, to it. Maybe MH370 will change things. I, I don't know. I, I think people have came, came to a realization there needs to be better information about long overseas flights and where those flights are tracking. So, um, you know, that in yeah, 9-11, I mean, yeah. shit, you, you don't want somebody to take off, hijack an airliner and fly it <laughs> off somewhere. I mean, and that was, I remember the speculation that, you know, these airlines, these airlines, the airlines could have been hijacked and they wouldn't have known about it potentially. And, you know, it's just like, yeah, we, we don't want to repeat that scenario. So let, let's update our systems so that we can, we can track airplanes and, uh, and, and know where they are. It's, I, I think at least a minimum level of coverage we should be able to have. And then, of course, it'd be even better. The plane has trouble. What kind of trouble is it having? For that system, the information to be reported back, you know, so that, you know, there's an attempt to possibly help people in the airplane uh, if, if, there's, if they're detecting something going on. You know, engines, wings icing up, something, you know. There's, there's, I'm sure there's a million things they could potentially report upon, but, you know, why not use the greater amount of information and intelligence and communication networks that we have available to us today to our benefit, to our advantage? to increase safety. So. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And I, I think, you know, the, I think what throws people off a lot is that you, you've got a situation, fortunately, you know, for, you know, thank God for small things, but the flight between Indonesia and where they were going um, was a, a short flight, relatively. And so they had a smaller area in which to search for the plane and then eventually found it. Uh, but this situation with Malaysia Airlines and still not knowing where it, where it is, I mean, there's a lot of speculation, some of it very, you know, cheeky or, or snarky about, oh, you know, this is the Bermuda Triangle or, you know, the um, hostages or, or, or the um, uh, ISIS or other people are taking it and the people are whatever's happening to them. And now these, these planes may show up some other time and place um, with, you know, d different types of actions or terrorist actions, you know, being planned. So it's, it's hard to know. But, you know, here you are, you know, you're supposed to have a black box that's supposed to you know, give off a signal so that at least you can be found. Um, you know, here you are in the 21st century. You think that the technology is going to be there to make it so that it's accustomed to certain depths, um, especially based upon the flight patterns or typical flight patterns where they can, you know, kind of perfect that and, and find out what went wrong and get some information. And, and just the dead air is what makes people so, you know, so uncomfortable and so nervous about flying. And then there are other things that are happening, you know, with you know, the human error, obviously, that, you know, it gets played up in the media because the media is about 
you know, what went wrong, I guess. Um, and so now people are afraid to you know, drive or fly or, you know, use a plane or, or a bus or a train. I mean, whatever it is, there's always something that's going wrong where you would think that technology would, would not necessarily be the, the silver bullet, but at least be part of the solution to the issues that we're facing. So, um, And then there's the other part of this whole episode about rage and have people lost their marbles. Certainly something not list, limited to air travel. I mean, you can just go out there no. in, in all different types of, <laughs> of situations and find that people have kind of gone over the edge, whether it's social media, I mean, conversations. You know, you and I are having, you know, a, it, we had a discussion the other day about something as simple as, you know, how we talk about and how we treat businesses based upon the allegations that we, we, we uh, fling against them, whether they're true or not, doesn't seem to matter. And there are consequences of that. And so that's another story for another time. But it, it just really goes back to the mindset of people um, and, and their, I don't know if it's invincibility or if it's just a lack of, of, of boundaries or something blurring in terms of lines but there's something that's that's getting lost here you know despite the technology that we have to connect us around the world and and theoretically you know have improved and and um and better experiences as a result i i would say what we're seeing is the side effect of rapid change mm-hmm. um and ultimately Things are evolving so quickly. Like, let's like just take communications technology. I mean, 20 years ago, you know, the Internet was a dial-up modem. And, you know, a lot of people hadn't even gotten online. They were just getting their AOL disks in the mail, and they were on, you know, 36K dial-up modems. You know, now they're online all the time. They're watching videos on their mobile phones. I mean, it's it's gone from, you know, a very slow connection to everybody's connected. You went from, you know, hundreds, maybe thousands of people on some bulletin board system, but it was a rare thing. vast majority of people were not online to billions of people on the planet online, you know, and maybe in another decade, the majority of the population of the world. I mean, there's still a lot of the the world population that's still not online, but they're rapidly Mm -hmm. getting online. And as a result, I mean, it's just, you know, it's it's just the amount of change is phenomenal. And I think the problem is people haven't quite accommodated yet. Um, You know, I've had the situation where, you know, people will write things that because they're not face-to-face with somebody, A, they don't get the emotional cues, and B, they they don't have the same uh, controls on their behavior. So they'll say something online, you know, you know, flippantly um, or whatever, you know, or make any kind of accusation they want. But if, you know, if they were harming somebody in person and they saw their anger and they felt threatened or something, they would be less likely to, you know, to just throw accusations out without, without there being true merit to them. Um, you know, it, I think it's kind of caused things to kind of fly off the rails a little bit. But, again, I think that's just because, but he's online, and they're just talking, and they're just there's just so much more exposure all of a sudden that these things fly out there. Um, so you know, I think it's gonna it's gonna have to work its way out, and that's, that plays on a lot of levels. I mean, if we're just talking about in our in our local community, and you know what people like or don't like about some business or about each other or how they they talk to each other in Facebook, I think that's one layer. I think there's another layer in terms of international relations and relations between countries where it's the same kind of dynamic played out on a larger scale. Um, you know, countries that don't want to hear yes. opinions about others uh, or want to respect 
respect their boundaries. It just goes on and on. And I think eventually what's going to happen is those that would try to keep out the rest of the world or, you know, the, the lies can't sustain indefinitely. Um, you know, close societies, I think, will have a, a, a huge disadvantage. And I think there was a statement, I forget who made it a long time ago, there's the integrating world and the non-integrating world that's resisting change. And the integrating world is what you kind of think of as all the first world countries and all those that are kind of part of the global system and are talking to each other and aren't shooting missiles at each other, <laughs> right? Um, these are the people that are, you know, trying to make things better, typically economically-wise, trying to progress. The non-integrating world is the ones that don't feel like they have in the system as it's designed, and as a result, they're resisting it. And I think eventually we have to change the dynamics in international relations so that everybody feels like they have some benefit or some stake in the system. Uh, and there's you know, there's a lot more to be gained being part of the world community and working with it than not. And unfortunately, there yes, are some I, I think you know. It's some, sometimes that, it's just a, a question of just simply you know having a certain level of a coping mechanism and. You know, it's it's like walking up to someone and saying, you know, whether you've been driving a car all your life or not, here, I'm giving you the keys to this Porsche Carrera. And all of a sudden, that person takes that car and they go and they wrap themselves around a tree. And it's right. because they've got they've gotten something that they haven't had before. They haven't, you know, they, they're not making that transition, um, whether they had the skills before or not, because, you know, oh, my God, I've got this, this Porsche. And then there are other people that tend to be more measured. They see this as an opportunity um, to be better online than they would normally be in person. Maybe if you said something to them at a store, they'd punch your lights out. But now that they have a chance to take a deep breath, and think a little bit more about what they're saying, then you know now you're getting a better quality of a of a feedback from them. So you just really, you know, you can look at it and say, you know, there are people that are taking the tool and abusing it, and, and they have no boundaries, and they're acting like idiots, and they don't see the responsibility mm-hmm. for their words because they just go out and they, you know bits and bites, and they don't realize the impact of that. And then there are other people that say, wait a minute, I have the I have an understanding of how you know, how important it is that I behave um, in a way that's responsible because I do know that, you know, because of the social media and Twitter sphere, blogosphere, that I can actually damage somebody very quickly without even having to uh, be accurate about what I'm saying. And so I think that does fit into, you know, that does translate into our other aspects of our lives, you know, if we're that way online and then now we start going out into the airports and we're on the planes and we're in the stores and, and now it's kind of an extension of, of not being able to adjust appropriately to, to how to treat people. But I, th- I think you you certainly uh, address that appropriately in terms of you know, learning from people and, and how how they are. And, and I think the other thing about which I tend to enjoy watching more than engaging is when you start putting things down into words, and those words become a part of permanent history, I, th- I think that it calls for a bit more accountability because now you can say something one day and then you know a week or two later you're contradicting yourself. And before it just used to be verbiage, and now it's in writing. So now somebody can actually point to what you said and say, wait a minute, you were just defending this you know, weeks ago because it was something that impacted you. And now here you are weeks or months or sometimes even years later 
arguing the a complete opposite position because now it's somebody else's business and not yours. So, you know, if that issue that we're discussing is important, then it's important for everybody, not just because you're the one that's being impacted by it. And so it becomes an opportunity, is where I'm going with it, to, to um, you know, bring somebody back to center or at least, you know, turn it into a teaching moment if they're open to that um, in a way that not having the Internet probably would have never provided that opportunity so i don't know no answers today yeah well uh i think there's a few and that is with with you know people growing up i think it's very important to remember that whatever you put online on the internet is preserved record and so it's like you know think of it as a matter of record and so as a result you you want to watch what you say a lot more um there's less to be say where oh I was just kind of I was angry and I was just speaking out well okay fine but you got to be careful because everything you're doing is going to be recorded uh, it would be different it, almost the difference between are we having a conversation or are we having a conversation in front of a video camera that's recording it and posting that 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 video feed up on the internet and storing it okay same difference would you say the same thing if you were being recorded like we are right now. Are we going to say something that would, you know, cause somebody harm just because we want to be mean-spirited about it? Well, you know, <laughs> then that would be recorded for posterity, and then people would ask you, why are you doing that? Um, you know, and, and people do. They, they say things. Here's the – long time ago, he's like, you know, sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. It's such a stupid mm-hmm. statement. It really is a stupid statement. Words are actions, right? Now, we have free speech. We have a right to – be able to speak for ourselves what we want, be able to criticize something. That's true. Um, but words are definitely actions, right? So it's kind of like um, I can walk down the street or I can walk down the street with a placard, you know, screaming in protest, or I can, you know, walk down the street and then, you know, throw a you know tire chain across the road that will rip up everybody's tires as they're going by. Those are different forms of action. You know, one is I'm expressing my opinion. Another one is I'm causing harm to other people that are trying to go by. And we have to recognize that our words have actions. And what are we respecting in terms of communicating our opinion versus where, what are we trying to do to cause harm to somebody, you know, or to, you know, to influence the situation? There's a, there's a lot of things that have to be worked out in the way people approach things sometimes. I have no problem with think- somebody respecting or having a difference of opinion. When they go off to attack the person, you know, to belittle them and do different things in that regard, I think they, they get away from the logical argument. Everything, everybody should have a logic course in college or in high school so they, re, they realize how to properly have proper dialogue. I think that would be a good thing. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, I've seen that, some of the dialogues out there that just bore the shit out of me, you know, about with people that are just resorting to the snark or to the ad hominem. And it's like, okay, so you've just told the world that you've run out of ideas. And so I have a choice. I can either, you know, kind of put tongue in cheek and kind of go joust with you a bit here and there just for sport and then just get bored and then move on. Or, you know, I can just completely ignore that aspect of your your uh, input and then just address the things that I want to address and just pretend like the rest of it doesn't exist uh, and, and in the hopes that, you know, you'll you'll recognize the folly of your ways. But I think that the other thing about dealing with people, um, and I know that people think, how are you talking about this now? This has nothing to do with air travel. Well, it does, but it doesn't because it has to do with patience and civility and, and the way that we um, – 
react in, in different settings, and it just so happens to be we're talking about the air, but it's, it's certainly an extension of society. And I think that uh, the Internet plays a role in that is what I'm getting at. I think a lot of the change has to do with the the, the gloves coming off in this in this forum and and by extension, you know, the rest other people and, and the things that they're doing and saying and, you know, and, and the accountability piece that comes in with being recorded or not caring or feeling that your, you know, the impact of your words and actions is, is minimized because it's just such a big, vast ocean out there and, and nobody's ever going to care because everybody's doing it. And I think there's also the expectation that, hey, you may have said something that was defamatory about me or my business, but of course, because how because of how difficult it would be and expensive to come after you, you're not going to do or say anything. So I'll just say, you know, I can have my opinion and I can do whatever I want. And um, I think that 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 arrogance and that inconsideration has has certainly leached into um, how we relate to one another when we're in the air. So. I don't really have anything else to add. If you do, then go ahead, and then I'll just write off. All I can say is I, th- I think we still have a lot more change coming down the pipe uh, with airline travel as well as with the way people deal with each other in general. And I think that's because as we become more information-dense, things are more known, Things are, there's greater awareness, there's greater recording. I, I think over time people are going to be they're going to be they're going to be if they're not more conscious of their actions they're certainly going to be made more aware of them and as a result i think in in the end that will probably create a, a strong moderating influence um i think you know in, in in terms of the airline travel i mean the greater information you have about making good choices you know if the airlines are damaging our interests we'll find other ways to get around you know what i mean we'll we'll find a better way to get around if we if we don't like what they're doing, if they're so squeezing the system for profits, find another way to get from point A to point B that doesn't involve the airlines. I know people are using inner city buses in some cases because they're tired of dealing with the airline travel uh, situation. So um, yeah, you know, heck, Eaton Musk, he's come up with the idea of the hyperloop, and I would love to see something like that put in put in practice, and you know, not even have to fly the airlines if you can get from point A to point B, you know, between cities and, uh, you know, different places without even jumping on the airline. Interesting. I, I think there's, there's, there's more than one way to skin this problem. Yeah, and I think those days are, de- those days are definitely coming in ahead of us, you know, in terms of the technology, um, and how we get around from point A to point B. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, thank you for, uh, dialing in as usual. Yes, thank you. Thank you for having me on the air. Yeah, that that was kind of fun. So uh, thanks for tuning in this afternoon, everyone. This broadcast is going to become a podcast shortly here, uh, also at iTunes. And you can follow us on Facebook at backslash STR8 Talk Radio. That's Sam, Tommy, Roger, the number eight, and Talk Radio. Don't be a stranger or a lurker. Just follow us or like us or spread the word and talk to us. Let us know what you want to hear or don't want to hear, and we'll go from there. So on the 7th of... uh, January at 1 p.m. We'll be talking with Mike Barnett. He's the owner of iHeart Kids App TV. He's a former MTV Italy producer and a musical artist. He's going to share tips on how to use videos, YouTube, SEO, and other tools to be found and ranked well in Google and across the Internet. Very talented fellow, so join us. Okay. Sony Keating, signing off here at 2.50 p.m. Pacific Time on Friday, January 2nd. 
We will see you in a few days, and have a great weekend.